What's going on guys? Anthony here. Super, super, super about you guys listening to this upcoming episode with Teresa Quinlan. There is so much amazing content in this episode. You know, at the end of the day, I try to provide the most practical and motivational tips around culture, around leadership, around employee engagement, around employee experience. But Teresa today breaks down a very interesting perspective around emotional intelligence. Now, her overall perspectives and her journey has been a very interesting one. She's an a former employee at a, at a company where she was a high-level leader and then worked her way through understanding herself and then understanding what she wanted out of life, what she wanted out of a career, and decided to jump into the world of entrepreneurship. So in today's episode, she's actually going to break down the emotional, financial, and like strategy tactics you need to do as an individual, as a person, as well as with your partner to figure out how you're going to navigate yourself from being an employee to then becoming an entrepreneur. She also talks about pushing boulders up a hill and the emotional intelligence piece of how to recognize, how to figure out how to push that boulder up the hill as it pertains to trying to, to get certain strategies and tactics passed and, and, and approved by your leaders or as an entrepreneur trying to push that boulder up the hill and dealing with the emotional stress and the pressure of being an entrepreneur. She also talks about figuring out ways to minimize toxic behavior as an employee as well as being a leader because at times as leaders we have toxic behaviors or toxic perspectives that we then push towards our, our employees and that obviously can, can spoil the brand, spoil services, spoil the relationship or whatever the case is going to be. And then she finally goes into leveraging your, your personality and your IQ by developing your EQ and harnessing that power and how the base of any great relationship, the base of any great product, the base of any great leadership tactic or overall business strategy is around EQ and understanding the customer's emotions, the customer's perspectives, the employee's perspectives, the overall brand's perspectives at an emotional level. Then you can layer the strategy then you can layer the IQ, but everything starts and be, you know, everything begins, starts and ends with, it doesn't even make sense, right? But you guys get the point. Everything begins with emotional intelligence and everything ends with emotional intelligence and everything in the middle is with emotional intelligence. That is the meat and the potatoes of business, of life, of people. And then again, you can also sprinkle on the intelligence of that and, and the IQ and the strategies and the tactics. And Teresa does an amazing job of, of going down that road and figuring out ways for us to truly understand what that means and how to really make an impact with not only ourselves, but our business. So again, as I said throughout the episode, I'm going to do a little bit better of a job of figuring out ways to interview more people in this space without you guys having to consume a lot of my personal individual content. But I've done enough talking. I've done enough ranting here. I'm super excited about you guys listening to this episode. So enjoy. I'm so excited every day to be working with individuals around the world of emotional intelligence. It what jazz it's what jazzes me up. Like I was able to find my passion in life and put it to work every day. So basically what I do is whether I'm working one-on-one or I'm working with a company, I help them transform their leadership style, their management style, even their personal life and the success that they're achieving on a day-to-day basis by starting from the foundation of emotional intelligence. Interesting. Okay. And well, first, let me do this. I probably should have thanked you for being on the podcast. I didn't do that yet. Um, thank you a lot for that. It's, I really appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a, um, a very interesting road here trying to get some, 
some guests on here. And when I, and when I learned about your overall background and your story and your perspective on this world, I thought it would be interesting because it's a little bit outside the box and a little bit different. A lot of people, um, frankly, kind of like me, talk about a lot of the same things, right? Employee engagement, employee experience, um, and then even get kind of into the, the, the very detailed nuances of HR. Uh, but you come at it from a different angle. Um, kind of what was the, what was the, I guess the, the true, you know, the, the true perspective of emotional intelligence and how did that really come up here? Like where, what was kind of like the foundation of it? I was training a bunch of leaders and recognizing that after we would teach things like having difficult conversations or time management, even things that, you know, time management is something fairly simple. You would think you take a course on time management, you learn all these processes and procedures, and you just have to execute on them. Mm-hmm. And individuals were coming back to courses over and over again saying, ah, you know, I don't think I really got it the first time. I'm having a really good, difficult time applying some of these things. I think I need to do the learning again. And after having some conversations with them, what started to become a recurring theme is it had nothing to do with the processes. They fully understood the map, the scripting, the step-by-step. What they didn't have was some of the internal, quote-unquote, internal emotional intelligence skill set to be able to execute on them. Sometimes there was a barrier in their internal dialogue. Sometimes there was a barrier in their capacity to know how to even demonstrate something like empathy or assertiveness at the same time. And so it became this light bulb moment for me where I thought, oh, wait a minute. If we step back one, two, five steps maybe and start with emotional intelligence, what happens then when we teach them something like crucial accountability, holding people accountable, time management skills, delegation, prioritization. And what it ended up happening was it changed their capacity to execute on those things in leadership. That's super clever. So you use emotional intelligence kind of as the base and then all the other things that a lot of people like our, you know, like me and other, other leaders I hear try to teach employees or try to teach other leaders, you, they then can execute those knowing that emotional intelligence is the base. Yeah. Now when I meet some leaders and they're like, I'm really having a hard time in you know, mentoring someone and coaching. I have a difficult time with a few different people and coaching them to success. And when you dig into asking them, well, why? What are you experiencing? They'll describe everything. And if you, when you listen really closely to what they're describing, it has nothing to do with their ability to execute on a process or execute a step-by-step that they learned from a textbook or heard in a podcast. They understand that. It has everything to do with the underlying emotional intelligence skills. Maybe they're incredibly stressed out. And so they're just in reactive mode all the time. So no matter who's across from them, what you get is just this emotional outburst from them all the time. They're like, I don't even know why that's happening and how I can control it. And, but I know I need to do better. So their own sort of recognition and admission of what's going on usually leads to hearing, oh, that's optimism oh that's self-regard oh that's empathy and you can just start naming all of the emotional intelligence skills that they're lacking in in order to execute is self-awareness like a close cousin or maybe even the brother or a sister Mm, it depends on the model you're looking at so there are there's a couple different models within emotional intelligence and self-awareness can be an encompassing description of skills Uh, Travis Bradbury wrote wrote tremendously 
impactful, easy to read, very valuable, practical information book on emotional intelligence. And he, his name? model, it's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0, Travis Bradbury uh, and Gene Greaves. Let's plug and, that in. Yeah, plug it in. And it's the first book I read on emotional intelligence. And it breaks, his model is four quadrants, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management. And basically the foundation in his model is if you start with self-awareness, all the other quadrants actually improve automatically without needing to dedicate specific time to them. So he encompasses the model in, in sort of a simplistic nature of taking a look at it. I practice the EQI 2.0 model of emotional intelligence that is developed by Reuven Baron and um, Joseph Stein, a PhD, Howard Book. They wrote a corresponding book called the EQ Edge. This model breaks emotional intelligence into five realms and three skills in each realm. So you have 15 skills that you're looking at. And when you look at different models, you can kind of go, oh, well, self-perception and self-expression are kind of like self-awareness in another model. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there, there definitely is a, a level of an, an, an element to it. Yeah, it's like anything else, really. How many personality assessments are out there? Like a gazillion of them. 100%. And they, yeah, and well, maybe not a gazillion. That might be an over exaggeration. I don't know if that's a number. <laughs> I get it. Only, only if you put your pinky finger up to the corner of your mouth. <laughs> that's it. Um, so it's kind of like that, that you can have different individuals studying emotional intelligence and their interpretation of how to assess name elements of it and then bring it to a, a larger audience talk to me about some of the pushback that you may or may not receive are there any leaders that so i'm a big fan um i'm a big fan of not selling uh not selling to the unsellable so if if hmm. you uh, are not a inherent fan of so it's very similar to my career path right um i, I kind of explained to you and a lot of the listeners that listen to the solo podcast I think I recorded an episode of me almost crying about my situation, mm. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'm in a very situ interesting situation where I'm trying to create my next opportunity um, naturally and organically. So I'm doubling down on networking and education and all the things that I told you about. Um, and so, hold on, I just lost my train of thought here. Hold on. <laughs> Let's find it. What was the first thing I was saying again? Uh, pushback. Uh, pushback. Yeah, on yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, through my path and, and through my transition and trying to find certain things, I've had a lot of pushback of people trying to analyze the way that I'm going about things and, and my perspectives on HR. And so you say, you know what, instead of me trying to go the traditional path, I'm going to have people will naturally attract to me. Mm. When you first tried to do this, did you have any pushback from people saying this is a little bit too soft, a little too woo woo, a little too out there? Or have you kind of taken the same approach that I have? You've kind of just stuck to your morals, stuck to your values and your perspectives. And those that agree kind of uh, are attracted to you and attracted to what you're bringing to the table. So, yes, I stuck to my morals, my values, my beliefs, my experiences. And I remember that I'm talking to business. So you have to know how to talk business. 100%. And one of the most valuable things I learned from the corporation that I worked with and for for 22 years was understanding business and learning how to connect to the bottom line of what a business needs to achieve 
It is not hard to find information out there about what HR struggles with. In fact, if you look at most reports from the past five years, it's the exact same things. They just yep. jockey they just jockey a little bit for position year over year. But the top three are almost always the same. Employee engagement, managing through change, attracting top talent. Boom. <laughs> All retention is not on there? Oh, well, engagement and retention almost yeah, go thing. hand in hand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, and then attracting and retaining top talent kind of go hand in hand. Yep, well. exactly. You're right. So these three things, and we think they're all about how people connect with each other and the skills related to communication and, and leading individuals, understanding people, caring about people. And I'm, I mean, that's emotional intelligence 101. That's the basis of all of it. So I do get pushback. I get people who, you know, it's sort of the invisible crossing of the arms with the furrowed eyebrow questioning what is this exactly because the word emotional gets them tangled up and they there's a belief that what it means is we're going to have to talk about our feelings all day at work that I'm going to have to get more comfortable with crying in front of people or managing when other people are crying so as soon as I describe what emotional intelligence is to them that barrier is broken through because well it just isn't that so it's fairly easy to claw through that and go, no, you won't have to cry more at work. Oh, thank God. I remember the last time I met with an executive team of a construction company. And that was the first question one gentleman asked me was, does this mean I'm going to have to like be more emotional at work? <laughs> no, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But when you are, it actually can be helpful. You know, I, you know, one of my best leadership tactics when I'm working with employees is I just try to be as honest and as authentic and vulnerable as I possibly can. Whether mm-hmm. that means, uh, no, that doesn't mean tears. I don't think I've ever cried. But <laughs> whether that means sharing stories about family, about you know hard and tough situations that I'm personally going through at the exact moment that may be similar to theirs or whatever it's going to be, uh, I, think it, I think it makes a lot of sense to be vulnerable and emotional to some capacity. But as long as it's authentic to you, I think there's also a crop of leaders I hear that are kind of taking what you're saying and what I'm saying, what a lot of other people are saying about culture and leadership and emotional intelligence and employee engagement. And they're kind of now, I, I'm see, I don't know if you're seeing this, but I'm kind of now seeing them um, create a very non-authentic um, level of empathy and care that, and they're, I guess they're, they're, they're trying to use it as a tactic. I don't know yeah. if you've been seeing this. It's one of or- the concerns that I always bring up when I'm coaching individuals or mm-hmm. I'm lead or I'm running a leadership excellence program is we talk about these are not skills to be used for manipulation. So if your intention is 100%. unpure, then your receiver on the end of that intention will feel it and they will know that they were, are being manipulated. Kim Scott wrote fantastic books called Radical Candor. What you're talking about is the equal demonstration of challenging people and caring about them directly most of the time when you don't care about people enough and you try to challenge them and quote unquote use assertiveness or empathy you do it poorly 100 Mm percent yeah that's very interesting and i've seen this happen a lot um i i I saw happen not too long ago actually with someone that's pretty close to me um and and i had to pull them to the side and kind of explain look you know because they respect my, my leadership style. And I said, look, if this doesn't come naturally to you, we can always talk about ways that you can take what I do. Because I'm sure there's, way, there's things that I can take from what you do as well. But it needs to remain authentic because uh, your employees and your leaders are going to sniff it out immediately, right? Um, but there, there is one thing I do want to talk about. So right before the episode here, we talked about giving practical 
right tips and information. So let's say employee retention as well as attraction. So attracting an employee and then retaining that employee is uh, a brand's number one issue. How do you apply what you do to that issue? And, and what are some of the, um, like, like walk us through if you can um, quickly a little bit, because I know it's a, it's a mm. very long, thorough process, but kind of walk us through how you go from that initial issue to maybe the first couple of times that you meet with that leader in some of those conversations. Well, attracting talent, sometimes looking at an organization, you know, we're attracting internally and succession planning for future leaders. And then Mm -hmm. we're also attracting externally for new employees. And oftentimes how we recruit for external employees, we say is related to our culture. And then we have this gap between defining our culture and knowing the behaviors we're looking for in individuals to execute on that culture Mm-hmm. And then transferring that sort of behavioral into um, interview questions that are assessing for an individual's behavioral capacity to then actually live our, our core values or our culture. So, you know, when I work with a company, coming in to look at these types of processes is doing that sort of backwards look at, well, how are you recruiting people right now? What are your job postings look like? You say all of these things. Every posting that you look on on any platform says the exact same thing. How does this mm-hmm. relate to what's written on your wall inside to what is tolerated and allowed internally in your culture? There's huge gaps. None of them are actually executing on them very well. So we work quite a bit on closing those gaps and making sure they are aligned in not just the process, but how they ask questions, how they probe for emotional intelligence, and do are they clearly defined on the behaviors they're looking for to execute on their culture, not necessarily the skills people require to do the job, because those are generally trainable or you've had an education, you've had the experience in previous jobs, you got great references. So I know you can do the job, but do I know that you can behave properly in the job or in our workplace? Very helpful. Got it. Mm-hmm. And no, go ahead, continue. The retaining, uh, oh, sorry, the other one was internal succession planning. So this has to do with retaining your employees because anyone you select and put in a leadership role is going to have tremendous impact on your employee retention and how how engaged individuals are at work. So generally the biggest error in promoting individuals is promoting your top talent, your top performers and saying, you know, look at all of your performance metrics indicate that you are the best performer on the team. So we're going to promote you to a leadership role because, well, it just makes sense. And then what ends up happening is this individual who was great at the job is terrible at leading people and they should never have been given a leadership role. So helping uh, leaders and companies understand this is sometimes a little bit tricky because it's just been the way it's been done for so long. And asking people to instead look for who are the individuals people are naturally following. Those are your next leaders, but they're not our top performers. Yeah. They don't have to be, they don't have to be exceptional at doing the job. They have to be exceptional at getting other people Mm -hmm. to achieve greatness. That's a great leader, right? So once we work through sort of the ins and outs of, Um, 
not just emotional intelligence in this aspect, but how they go about identifying their leaders, then it becomes a lot easier for them to shift their thinking. But this is old thinking. It's been ingrained for uh, since the beginning of time. I know. <laughs> since the, begin- you're, you're, since you're the beginning right. of workplace time, that this is how we promote. Um, and, and I, you know, let's be clear, not every organization makes these catastrophic errors. Some people are already on the path and doing this exceptionally well. And what they're noticing is that they have a tremendous amount of success with their employee retention and their employee engagement. Because when you place the leader that naturally connects with people, is a natural coach, is, is already authentic, creates spaces of risk-taking and safety and failure and learning, they cultivate a team that is highly engaged in their work that can flourish and achieve even beyond what they thought they could achieve. And let me give a little bit of a sidebar and a note to the leaders out there that are going to say, cause I've had a couple of leaders sell this to me because I'm what you just said. I'm huge on that. I think I have like seven individual podcasts screaming at people about this um, because I'm <laughs> super adamant about um, building out a leadership plan and a succession plan for those that maybe are not the most skilled and the most talented, but are definitely the most talented when it comes to the people and, and helping those people learn, helping those people grow, connecting with those people, getting the most out of those people. Uh, that's what mm-hmm. we need, right? Um, but mm-hmm. a sidebar to the leaders out there that are saying, well, what do we do with, you know, what do we do with those that are very skilled, but the emotional factors don't come natural to them? The people skills don't come natural to them. They want to make more money too, right? They want to grow and then have more of a title as well. And, and I would push against, because I've done this with my own brands and I helped uh, other brands do this where I was a leader. I would push, there, there is growth for them. We can pay them more. We can give them more of a title. But it does not mean that they should have the responsibility in the moment, unless they're open to changing, of having the responsibility of, of crafting and helping and supporting people on a day-to-day basis. That may mean they're doing something more on the admin side, on the system side. You know, I had a, I had a, uh, a a good friend, actually, I was just at his wedding, uh, our former director of operations, he didn't really work well with people. He, he and, the, and the CEO had a very similar um, personality and a very similar perspective on life and just working period. And we promoted him and we gave him more money and more title. And he was in the back end, you know, shifting and crafting and, and, and redoing all of our systems that took nine nine, 10 months. And he was working with the CEO hand in hand and it went very well. He made more money. He was able to do very interesting things as he was getting married and, and was able to kind of feel better about himself. And it didn't mean that he necessarily had to lead a group of people. Um, so that's just my personal perspective on it in sidebar. Do you feel similar or maybe cause you have a lot more experience. Can you maybe help people understand what do we do with those people that, that, that are very talented, but are not very naturally talented when it comes to people. There is that traditional thought process of, well, if I want more money, more recognition, I'm going to have to step into a leadership role. Mm -hmm. That's what people are thinking too, right? So we have to help retrain individuals' thought processes of what does success actually look like for you as an individual? Mm -hmm. And so if I want greater recognition, if I want more money, if I want uh, to be challenged more how do we come up with creative problem solving 
what's the problem solving process? How do we collaborate towards what that is without placing someone in a job that they are just going to crash and burn in or the ripple impact of their behaviors will destroy a team, destroy an organization, so on and so forth. So things like mentoring and stretch projects and cross-training into another team and, 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 and. There are so many other yeah. options that, that are so much better than placing someone in a leadership role. You're 100% right. Last point on this, and then I want to shift over to um, how, uh, how much courage you have and how much uh, emotional strength you have for, for doing what you, what you did, which is transferring out of your, uh, your, your previous brand and, and doing things on your own as an entrepreneur and kind of stepping out into this world. Because um, I know there's a lot of skills and a lot of core tactics of how you transfer out of your day-to-day role with another brand and now are doing things at an independent level. Um, but first, w- w- from a financial standpoint, you know, what do you say? I want to get really, really tactical here because, again, I've had like a lot of brands tell me that, um, well, we don't believe that we can pay someone more if they're not contributing more to the overall the overall team, right? If they're not going to be impacting more lives and more jobs and more roles in this company, then we just don't have the cash for them. Do you have that perspective? I just wanted to kind of touch on that because I have a very different perspective on it. I just wanted to see where your head was at. So I believe that most of the time we are measuring the wrong or incomplete metrics to then determine someone's value or worth. So if I'm only going to measure the number of dollars that you bring in, let's assume that maybe you're in a sales role and I only measure the end result that you produce, but I measure nothing else of how you got to that production. I don't measure your um, satisfaction rating, your peer collaboration rating. I don't measure anything else and I am missing key metrics to your impact to the organization. If I only see bottom line, but you were the reason eight other mid to top performers left the organization, what did that cost me? That all of a sudden is going to reduce your value within the organization. So I do think we're looking maybe a little lopsided as to what value an individual brings if we're only looking at what we currently measure as performance metrics. And again, remember leaders, you can change the metric as well. I remember listening to uh, a Gary Vee podcast and, and this really opened my eyes because as I was listening to the podcast, I was literally in the midst of a debate with uh, my former CEO. The, the, the metrics don't have to be the same metrics that we see on Gallup or that we see on LinkedIn or that you see on one of my posts. Like, like we don't have to all follow the leader here. When you have your own individual brand, you can create your own metrics, correct? Do you agree with that? I do. You know, and you don't have to follow the same metrics that you see the guy down the street follow. Like, it, it doesn't have to work that way. So I just think... We need to have a little bit more courage to be individuals when it comes to uh, what's going to work for our individual logo, right? Yes, that's what I I had done that. I had to shift a department and quantify the individuals that I wanted to keep on the new structure of the department. So basically, it was a downsizing from 28 people to less than 14. Mm -hmm. So I was included in the 14 number. And you're cutting a team in half. So to be able to decide who are you going to keep had to come down to way more than just can they do the job? I could teach people how to do the job. I can partner them, you know, on skill execution. There were other things to be looked at. And you can't get that from 
you know, your HR platform that's telling you they work this many hours, finish this many projects. I had to talk to people about what kind of relationships do they form with you when they're under stress? How do they usually react? Those kinds of things. A thousand percent. Um, mm-hmm. So walk me through um, what you did, because we talked about this and I told you how proud of you I was and, and, and how mm-hmm. much um, like and what you did is just super remarkable and amazing. And and, I, and I'm giving you that much, um, giving you that much recognition because there's a lot of people out here that I know for a fact, either dislike their job, dislike the people they work with, dislike their boss, or maybe there is a crop of people that are just simply happy with their role, but they know they can do so much more. They have a slightly different perspective on the world that they want to share. Um, walk me through the tactics, though. Walk me through if you're open and comfortable doing so. Walk me through the details from a financial standpoint of how you were able to think thoughtfully about crafting your finances to be able to have the ability to take that plunge into the entrepreneurial world. Uh, maybe some of the things that you learned, right? Like what were some of the things that were, were some of the studying that you were doing along the way to prepare yourself mentally to be an entrepreneur? I used to be a consultant in that mental space. And I would always talk about, don't just step out into this world if you are not crafting your mind to be uh, to, to, to give yourself a shot. Now, you're never going to know everything, but you need to have a foundation and a base. Um, so walk me through those, those two things, right? The, the financial element of it, as much as you're open to explaining, right? Um, and, then mm-hmm. the, uh, and then more or less the, the, the education component and what you did to prepare yourself for that, for that, uh, that, that new task there. Just like anybody, I think, really, you have to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And I had been working on that since my late teens. I'd always, since my late teens, actually maybe around the time I was 11, I was fairly confident in knowing who I didn't want to be. I had plenty of role models around me that demonstrated behaviors that ugh, rubbed me the wrong way and just made me feel a little bit like, nope, nope, that doesn't resonate with me at all. I definitely don't want to behave in that way as I was trying to sort of narrow in on who am I as an individual? What's the impact I want to make for other people, for myself? How do I achieve my purpose in life? And in my 20s, that's when I really started to make headway and traction towards my emotional intelligence, really connecting with past traumas in my life, resolving those things so that I can be better moving forward. And some of them were really difficult to get through. So by the time I'm in my 22 career, 22 year career that I was having with Good Life Fitness, and I loved this job. I loved every single moment of this career with this company. It was incredible for me. And the first six years I worked within the operations of the company. So I really got to understand the ins and outs. And then I became part of the learning and development. And this is when I really was able to take advantage of one of my personality strengths, with, which is achiever. And achiever simply means that I will create whatever it is that gets me where I want to go. I don't need someone to put it in front of me. My sister calls it being a trailblazer. Mm-hmm. And when I became part of that department, I was one of four people and quickly realized we're not going to be able to sustain this small size as we grow as a company. So I started writing my own job profiles of what, how was the company or department needing to grow for the company? What was the next job that was going to be needed? And then I would write the profile and proposal for it 
pitch it forward to the current manager or VP, get their approval and help move us forward. To be able to do that meant I had to be um, constantly in the weeds with what is organizational growth? How do learning and development departments grow? What is adult learning? What's five years from now? Uh, What's 10 years from now? looking at other organizations and how they were doing it, looking at their projection. If we're going to be where they are in 10 years, how do we get there in six years? Because you learn from other people so that you don't have to repeat either how long it took or the mistakes that they made. And can I put a pin in something real quick? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Can I just put up the job profiles? Uh, Because again, I want to get really tactical. And again, I'm learning a lot too, right? Walk me through two, two main things with those job profiles. What were two main things that you included that you believe gave, uh, gave you the green light when you passed it on to management? One was knowing the um, growth for the business. So how many people, locations, how much we were going to grow and the sustainability of the current learning and development team to execute for that growth. Mm-hmm. So we weren't, we weren't going to be able to do it, period. So demonstrating that gap. And then the second one was demonstrating the forward projection of five to 10 years of where we were going to need to go and outlining the path. So if in 10 years we're going to need a director of learning and development, then we have to start branching this department from just facilitators to also instructional designers. So showing them the whole path and asking for the next move in the path. Mm-hmm. Not, not the end of the path, Beautiful. right? Where they would go, well, we don't need that yet. No, not yet, but we will. <laughs> and probably a lot sooner than you expect. Beautiful, yeah. And if I might, there's a third, there's a really third key element was because I knew the inside of the organization was being able to demonstrate errors they made that were similar to this being an error if they didn't make the choice. Yeah. So they had other infrastructures that they weren't growing and then, the company struggled because of that lack of growth, the lack of infrastructure before the external grew. So showing them if you grow the infrastructure of learning and development first, you'll be better able to manage when we grow on the outside. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So what, one more little pin here. What I really like about everything you're saying right now is you are a, a truly an example of what uh, eventually I hope to be and, what, and kind of what I have a, a deep passion in, which is, you have a great understanding of people and emotions. I want to get deeper into that, but also your ability to kind of smash business and people and these emotional factors into one and being able to have conversations with, with each side of the table, I think is remarkable. And it's something that I told you a few people have said that I have a, a, a micro talent in because my seven years uh, it cannot be compared to mm. your 20 plus years, but um, I think honing in on that town is, is where we need to kind of put the pin in there, right? So for, again, a HR leader or any leader listening to this that maybe is not on the pure business side, that's more on the people and emotional side, wouldn't you say that purely understanding the business and how it can actually help the business grow and being able to translate that can gain respect and, and can gain you credibility throughout your professional career and and can, and, and can have a level of empathy when you're having these conversations where they will then start to remove that, that stigma and that perspective on you. And that will start to shift into more of a positive and respect uh, factor. Wouldn't you agree? I would. Sometimes your EQ matters way more than your IQ. I agree. When, when you're, 
when your behaviors, your demeanor, even your personality can be abrasive, abrupt, avoidant, maybe you crumble under stress, people don't stick around to find out how smart you are because you're just rubbing them the wrong way. And then you have the, but then also what I was really getting to is you have the nice element of both, right? Yeah, that's why you need your EQ. No, you're <laughs> most right. Most people you're, just, you're totally yeah, right. most people just focus on, you know, their IQ yep, side yep, of yep, things. Yep, and yep. here, let me demonstrate how smart I am and things that I figured out you're for totally you. Right. And, and you might present it in, in a way that uses conversational or communication words that the, when the other person, when it touches their ears, the other person is just like back up, armor on because they feel like they're under attack. Yep. Um, approaching everything is like, hey, look, I've been thinking about this side of the business and I've been thinking about how our growth potential could require some shifts in learning and development. So I spent some time pulling together a couple of proposals. And after the first time where I only built one and got got the no and then had to produce a second one, I thought, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go in with two or three options. So they pick one as opposed to one option. And then they just say yes or no. (laughs) Plus, it demonstrates to them the capacity to run towards the goal in multiple different ways. So an organization of decision makers, which I was not at the time, gets the opportunity to sort of roll around in in the mud of which one works better for the other things that she doesn't know about, but we know about. And now, look, she's given us options. Oh, this one works the best. Meanwhile, all of them. We're getting me where I wanted to go. Yep. So I, achieving my personal vision and those that were following me gave them more opportunity. Let me ask you this really quickly. And I do want you to get to the part where you made, made your big decision there. Um, <laughs> you know, were you building a level of relationship and, 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 and connection with these people? Because that's also something I'm a big fan of. Um, I always try to be, I have a very, I don't know, I, I think I do, uh, a decent ability of um, connecting with people very quickly and legitimately becoming as close to friends as possible in a very short amount of time and kind of getting them to, to lower that guard. Because uh, I believe once, once they lower that guard, right, once a leader lowers his guard or her guard or an employee lowers their guard and we are now looking at each other as potential friends or, you know, very close acquaintances, the, the relationship and the context it starts to shift a little bit. The way that we look at each other starts to shift a little bit. Thus, I can break through and make change a little bit more quickly. Were you ever utilizing that in a very authentic way? Not a tactical way, but a very authentic way. Were you close with any of these leaders at this time? Yes and no. Okay. So, yes, I had been working in the organization for a number of years by this point, like 10 years. And because I grew... I was with the company when it was fairly small and was with the company when we grew our most amount. And so that core of long-term leaders was still fairly small. Mm -hmm. And so the people that I was talking with, I had relationships for six, seven, eight, nine, like a long time, Mm -hmm. years, right? So yes. And then no, because uh, early on, I led a lot more with my IQ and my ambition and my willingness to challenge the status quo. And that, doesn't always work for a lot of people. I get it. it right. It, it, it makes some people feel uncomfortable. It makes some people feel intimidated. And when I wasn't paying attention to the other person's social cueing or emotional cueing, I, I usually ran into a barrier. Um, so my first emotional intelligence assessment 360, that became wildly vivid 
in my peer group of raiders were providing me with this exceptional information of sometimes Teresa comes across as uh, she's smarter than we are and she's got these agendas she wants to push forward and you know she's going to push forward with them whether or not we might be on board even if she doesn't need us on board we're still a peer and so you know sometimes I don't really feel really like she respects me mm-hmm. and I thought ooh, ouch that is not what my what my intention is but I could see how my behavior is easily interpreted that way got it so I had to work on developing better relationships with these people so they understood my intention instead of instead of not knowing me well enough or me not knowing them well enough to adjust the language or behavior. Very cool. I do get that. And that makes a ton of sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was authentic, right? Because the authenticity came in my intention and my purpose. What was not aligning was then sometimes my behavior with the individual because I didn't know them well enough that, you know, if I behaved in a way that was just straightforward, they took that as aggressive and, by getting to know them better, I could soften the approach, but they also got to know me better so they could remove the fact that, oh, she's, this isn't aggression. This is, Teresa just talks this way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So let's jump here um, and look at the time here. I don't want to, I, I want to get, there's a few more things I do want to touch on, but let's, let's jump to what was one tactic that you did from a financial standpoint when you did decide to walk away um, eventually. And I know we kind of skipped past. Yeah. Uh, hmm. That's okay. <laughs> you, actually, no, that's important. Though. Let's, because I, I don't want to paint the picture like you just you magically one day said, you know what, this is it, I'm done. So um, <laughs> let us know quickly why you walked away. And then let's talk about the two factors of the learning as well as the, um, the uh, financial? financial aspect of it. Okay. The, I had worked for the same VP for about 16 years. We had a very close relationship. Mm-hmm. And for about the last year, year and a half, I started to feel like the boulder that I normally was pushing uphill because learning and development isn't every organization's best friend. We are a cost. We don't usually generate money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so performance uh, metrics for learning and development or ROI for learning and development is sometimes very difficult, right? So it is fairly common to feel like you're always pushing a boulder uphill to get things approved, to bring in new training, to bring in new resources, so on and so forth. But it was feeling a lot heavier. And there was less communication between me and my VP. And I was starting to feel this, like, "Mm, there's something I don't know. Mm -hmm. And my body was first telling me it because um, I was starting to have days where I would wake up in the morning and I have to give myself the pep talk to start work. So my own personal engagement and work was starting to wane and I had never experienced that before. So it was surprising to me to wake up tired, not motivated uh, and feeling a little like, no, I get it. Just, I could just go back to bed really. Right. I can resonate. So that was sort of the first physical signals. And then I, Um, I'm an avid exerciser. My body was starting to feel more sore, which was unusual. I don't know. That doesn't typically happen. So I was getting all of these physical signals that my stress level was starting to grow to a point where I was probably going to tip. And it was because I was not having a conversation I needed to have. I was feeling these things and thinking these things, but I hadn't asked my manager about them yet. And so I said to my husband one morning, I said, I got a call. I'm going to call 
um, Alana today and I'm going to have that conversation with her and ask her. I'm going to tell her how I'm feeling, the stories that I'm telling based on what I'm observing. And I'm going to ask her what's going on. And so I did. And she so eloquently answered me uh, in a way that allowed me to go, oh, well, I guess that's that. She said, I haven't really been advocating for you or your department. I'm like, well, that's why I've been feeling what I've been feeling. Exactly. So her authenticity, honesty, integrity back to me, which I really had come to know that is always what it was, was so appreciated in the moment because it allowed me to sort of stop thinking about it and go, okay, what do I want to do about that? We extended our conversation into, will you be changing that behavior? Will you continue to have that behavior? You know, what are the other barriers in the way that maybe I'm not aware of? I needed more information so I can start the decision-making process of, do I want to stay knowing what's ahead of me and continue to push the boulder uphill? I'm a maximizer. That's one of my other personality traits is I like to take things from good to great. And I had a three-year plan for this current department that I transformed to grow these people and what we were doing. And I was halfway through it. So for me to consider giving up, that's how I looked at it, before I was there was difficult for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) to want to do because it is like quitting. And I'm generally not a quitter. No. So I asked her the conversation and I considered do I want to stay and keep pushing the boulder uphill knowing that in all likelihood none of it will be accomplishable do I want to move into another organization and either step into leadership there or step into like an individual contributor role or do I want to start doing something on my own make my own rules my own job and in a matter of about 30 minutes going one two or three and oh three three feels the best Why does three feel the best? As soon as I thought of that, all of the tension that I was carrying in my throat and my neck immediately went away. Mm. So I was like, oh, that's it. My, your body will give you the emotional experience before you can rationalize all of the details. Yes, it will. So when you pay attention and when you're in tune, you can pick up that really easily. And I went, oh, that's the one that resonates deepest with me. And then it was about, of course, communicating with my husband, getting him on board, and then starting the plan. Okay, so what is it that I'm going to do specifically? Uh, How am I going to go about doing it? When am I going to start? So on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, so I guess when you say communicate i'm assuming you know like you said when is this going to happen you know when how 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 much do we have in the savings how long do we have until we can kind of walk away from this job because i'm I'm assuming you didn't just quit that day or did you i gave my notice and i gave my one month 30 days okay okay yeah because in a senior manager role i thought that was fair i knew they were not going to replace me in 30 days however i had two individuals in the succession planning pipeline that could take over all of my responsibilities got it so it was more about tying tying off projects and stakeholders and all like when you exit a company after 22 years there's quite a number of things that you have the proprietary knowledge over as well like i was one of the four founding members of this learning and development team the first instructional designer, uh, there was a lot of stuff that was only on my computer or in my cloud. And I had to get this to other people so that proprietary knowledge was still in the organization. Now, my husband and I have always been 
really good with our finances. Now, I think my dad, he taught me when I was very young how to save off of every paycheck and get money into your savings account for that day when you either couldn't be working and you needed to have a year's salary in available or you got like injured, you lost your job or you didn't want to be working for whatever reason or you were shifting jobs, whatever, mm-hmm. right? So my husband and I always had a year's worth of either of our salaries available should we have needed it. Now that's beautiful. So, all right. So a quick tip to anyone, because I'm, I'm like a lot of Americans out here, you know, I, I don't come from a very stable background financially uh, f- with my family. So I didn't have a lot of good examples. I personally, to this day, um, value experiences and taking care of people probably a little too much. And I need to start doubling down on my own personal savings and from a financial mm-hmm. perspective. So anyone that is very similar to me, or maybe uh, not similar to me, just, you know, at the end of the day, they just don't make a ton, so they can't save a ton. Um, I, I would suggest, and I'm sure you would as well, um, make sure that you do have some sort of a nest egg and, mm-hmm. and make sure that that nest egg is, is, is realistic and practical and um, will, will reflect what you actually have on a day-to-day basis. Like, like I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan, I'm not a fan of when I see entrepreneurs I hear Gary Vanderson talk about this a lot. And I don't know if I agree fully. I'm not a fan when I see entrepreneurs scrape down their life and make it super, super, super basic and practical when they're used to another lifestyle. I would much rather that same lifestyle that you previously were accustomed to. I would, I would like it if you could, to some degree, maintain that over a six to 12 month period of time, because I know what's going to, I know what it's going to do to your brain. And I know how important it is while you're making that entrepreneurial transition for your brain to remain calm and focused on that difficult task, opposed to figuring out light bills, electric bills, food, you know, leisure expenses, you know, releasing from the tough world of entrepreneurship and going to a movie or a dinner date. Like, I don't want you guys to be pressed and thinking about those variables too much. I want you to have a lot of your energy and attention on the business. Uh, What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, our practices around finances were to say, you know, put a minimum of 10% every paycheck away into that nest egg. And so over time, that will grow and that will give you that buffer that you need. And it can grow pretty fast. But at the same time, my husband and I are a great partnership because we have a good balance between who likes to spend and who likes to save. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he spends a little more than I do. And it's a little, it's a lot easier for me to say no to doing things um, and buying stuff or spending. And so it was fairly easy for me to stop going to Starbucks and just have a coffee at home. Like that literally saved about $1,400 a year. That was, and that's a significant amount of money. Yes, but exactly. First of all, that's beautiful. And then also that was natural to you though, right? Yes, natural to me. It was also easy to shift grocery stores. So instead of going to Zares, like a big, nice grocery store i shifted to the one that's cheaper doesn't provide you with any bells and whistles but it has all the same stuff in it and that saved like every week it saved 50 60 dollars off your grocery bill like there are little things that needed to be done to have huge impact to the stress related to i don't have a paycheck that's guaranteed every two weeks when i get paid it'll be because of what i put in to generate business clientele 
and achieve that outcome. And that is completely unknown when you're an entrepreneur. Like when it happens is unknown. I was never insecure that it was going to happen. I knew that there was a problem people were experiencing based on research that I had a solution to. And I knew that all I needed to do was provide people with the value add of the solution so they could understand what I do and how it will help them solve their problem. And then I just had to get it in front of people. Now walk me through the education piece, right? Because the conversation we're having right now, this is actually kind of getting me back into the saddle here. These are conversations I used to have with, with some of my clients um, back when, because like the mindset and preparation of becoming an entrepreneur, I think is one that is not talked about enough. Um, and mm-hmm. it was it was one of the variables that I consulted on because I think it, it is a process. It's, it's a process to develop your finances. It's a process to develop your, your strength and your emotional um, ability to kind of withstand what's going to be happening and occurring. So what were you doing, right? So you made the decision. You said, okay, 30 days and walking away. What were you yep. doing within those 30 days? And then what were you doing? Let's talk about the next, what were you doing over the next four months from a pure education and networking standpoint to prepare yourself to, to put together your consulting plan, educate yourself on variables that maybe you didn't have enough time to double down on because you were you know, because you were actually being a practitioner, so maybe you didn't have enough time to kind of double down and, and fine tune some of the things that you were working on or your beliefs mm-hmm. or your perspectives on emotional intelligence because you had so many other tasks that you were working on. So um, talk to me about that. Well, that's part of the process is kind of clearing your head and going, what is absolutely necessary right now? Yes. Not nice. Like nice to haves will come later on. Not everything has to be, I'm okay on the fly. That's probably one of the things that really helped me as an entrepreneur in starting and hitting the ground running, like just start doing as opposed to I need everything to be perfect and then I'll start doing. No, 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 no. I know that I've, I have the knowledge base in developing leaders and emotional intelligence and I have the experience of training people. So I don't really need to work on my knowledge base of being able to execute on the service I'm offering. I got all that. (laughs) I have to put together the actual business part of it. And so as soon as I made the decision, I'm like, oh, it's time for me to build a website, come up with a name, get my business license, get my business cards. And then I'm going to use LinkedIn as the platform to network business wise. And then I'm going to get myself signed up for chamber of commerce in my community and become a part of every meetup group possible in my community so that I can start getting in front of people that live where I live Mm -hmm. and use LinkedIn as a network of individuals who are also entrepreneurs who may also be coaches and just start reaching out to as many people as possible and having conversations like you run a business. How did you get started? I mean, you're four months ahead of me. I'm there's going to be something I could learn from you. Exactly. And, and from each individual, each individual that I reached out through, through LinkedIn to network with or through my immediate network in my community were so willing to meet and have a cup of coffee, which cost me $2, <laughs> right? They were so willing to meet with me and have a conversation for an hour. And I would have pages in my notebook of what they shared and communicated. And some of it resonated with me and is what I wanted to do. And some of it didn't. And I just didn't do it. Makes a ton of sense. No, it's exactly what it's exactly what I've been doing. It's exactly how I started my entrepreneurial career years ago, um, and it's exactly what I'm going to do when I when I decide to jump back into the world of entrepreneurship. It makes a ton of sense. Um, let's do this because I'm looking at the time here. I want to jump into one more 
aspect of I want to kind of flip back into uh, the world of culture and leadership really quickly, and then we'll wrap it all up and um, and go from there. How does that sound? Great. So I was looking through some of your content and I came across a video that you shared on toxic behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And it really resonated with me because, uh, look, I- I'm such a lovable guy. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, I would. I, I really like people and I like things to be calm and I'm nice and I'm generous and I, and I really dislike um, confrontation. And I really dislike like nasty, negative behaviors. Um, and I think there's a, first of all, and you know this, there's a lot of underlining reasons of why people have these toxic and nasty behaviors. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Yes. Um, but we, you know, we're, we're not going to get into that part because that would then put us in the category of being a therapist and kind of un- unveiling some of the things that may be really going on, which I've done in the past, but talking about these toxic behaviors, right? How do you solve those behaviors when you're a leader and you're noticing some of the mid-level or low-level employees are having these behaviors, but you know inherently they have a lot of talent. They bring a lot to the table. What do you do, right? Do you go into the mode of being a therapist? Or do you go into the mode of building that emotional and relationship glue by maybe spending a week or two and connecting with them at a deeper level that you may not have before and you now realize some things are happening in a real-life thing? Do you... I talk to another employee that maybe is close to them as well and figure out some things. What do you do from that angle? And then also answer, what do you do when you're a mid-level employee or a low-level employee and you really want to be with the brand and the logo for a number of years, but your leader has a toxic behavior and you want to address that and you want to have the balls, if you want to be honest, to try to fix that upper upper management and, and change their behavior. So kind of walk me through both sides of the table. When you are a leader, you have, you need to know, (laughs) you need to know number one, why you wanted to be a leader in the first place, because leading people means you're going to have to lead people. You're going to have to talk to them. You're going to have to deal with messiness because people are messy and Mm -hmm. tend to be challenging at times. And if you don't know why you became a leader or that isn't your primary reason of why you became a leader, you probably need to relook at your intention or purpose behind being a leader. Get out. (laughs) Either get out, right? Or be thoughtful. Yeah, yeah, be thoughtful of it and recognize, oh, this might not be an area of strength for me. So how do I dial up my capacity in this area to be a better leader? Because when you don't address things like toxic behavior, you demonstrate for the remainder of your team what you will allow. And pretty soon, you will have more than one toxic individual in your, in your tribe. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that um, it becomes very easy for your team members to disrespect you as a leader when you allow toxic behavior to continue. And so if you've lost respect from individuals, you've lost all relationship. Um, capabilities with any of them. They're no longer following you. So things like sabotage and purposeful errors, um, discretionary effort, all of those things start to happen from an employee standpoint. 100%. If, if the leader isn't, you know, if the leader isn't on point and really if the leader isn't doing their job. So as a leader, I don't ever think that it is appropriate for you to really talk to other teammates about one individual. You have to go to the source. I also never believe or encourage leaders to be the ones to solve the problem. 
that the other person is having. Okay. <laughs> that the toxic individual, it's not your responsibility to solve it. It's their responsibility to solve it. As a leader, it's your responsibility to know your people well enough that you can recognize when the slightest of things is off. And then your responsibility lies in asking them about it by being able to accurately describe your observation, asking them about it, and diving into a dialogue. And just supporting them. And supporting them. So the, that's how you become a coach. That's what coaching is. It's a pillar of leadership is you have to know how to coach people. Coaching isn't telling. It's making an individual um, super aware of how they're leveraging their talents and strengths and also how things are creeping in and derailing them. Hey, are you aware that when you meet Janice, your eyebrows furrow and you stand up really tall, your face gets a little bit red and your voice goes up like just a little bit in decibels. Are you aware of those things? And they might be, no, I never noticed that. What do you think that might mean? I don't say, hey, are you aware when you talk to Janice, you get really angry? Because that's me taking observations and telling a story. Yeah. Instead, I present you with the observations and I ask, you know, what's going on? And I let you talk about, I have a really hard time dealing with, and then you share with me the things that are going on. And I just keep asking you questions until you get to the space of, oh, that's what I need to work on. Oh, that's how it's helping me. Oh, that's how it's hindering me. So what's the plan? What are you going to do? And then how can I support you? Do I need to remove barriers? Do I need to give you special projects? Do I need to partner you? Do, do you need a mentor? Do you want to take a course? All of that sort of stuff. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, from the other way, if you're middle management, you're in this unique position of being in sort of a pinch position where you're managing down and you're also managing up. That's a reality of middle management. Sometimes these individuals are the ones that have the highest EQ in an organization. Let's mm. just let that simmer for I'm a here. minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah, that was kind <laughs> of, it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, good to you. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. For the audience listening. You let it, you let go, it settle for oh, a minute. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, um, let it sit for so, a second. <laughs> yeah. Managing up becomes something that always enters the dialogue when I'm working with a leadership excellence group. Like, you know, I'm learning about this, but I know that my managers, our CEO, they haven't done their emotional intelligence and they don't behave very well. So what am I supposed to do about that? I'm like, well, what do you want to do about it? Do you want to have a conversation with someone? Do you need to have a title to speak to this person? Or are they just another human being and you're concerned? Exactly. And so it is all about checking yourself first because it's human to human interaction. Title or no title does not matter. If you can wrap your self-awareness around that, then you can step into any conversation because you'll be better armed to manage your emotions related to who you're speaking with. If they have a title, if they have some sort of prescriptive authority or power, quote unquote, um, you can watch how your internal dialogue drives your emotional state or your emotional state is driving your internal dialogue and preventing you from having a conversation or worse talking about it with other people and just being part of the problem. Hmm. So, and so good. Yep. I'm going to continue. I encourage and train leaders that do have to manage up that it really is all about get your heart straight, 
So what is your intention? And then get your head on. Consider that there are six sources of influence. There could be personal motivation behind their behavior. There could be personal ability behind their behavior and gaps in these things. There could be social motivation. Maybe there's peer pressure. They see their peers doing similar things, so they're just following in line. There could be um, structural motivation. Perhaps why they're behaving in this way is because their bonus is on the line. Their livelihood is on the line. There's, a, there's so many reasons that an individual can be behaving the way that they do, but most of us make the error and attribute it to one thing only, their personal motivation. They are just a bad person. And when we tell that story, our heart can never be right. You're right. So we'll lead with our head or we'll behave poorly by talking about them behind their back. That was all that was that was very thoughtfully said. You're right. There there are a number of reasons why. And so many people, and I've had the I've done this myself. We don't we don't like to sit back and really think about the multitude of reasons that really could be making this person act this way and, and trying to have empathy around those. That's really what it comes down to is once you have empathy and once you kind of break through that emotional barrier, you 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 do have a shot of um of having a good conversation with that leader and potentially changing some things. Um, but let's just be real here. Um, hmm. there are, there are some assholes out there <laughs> Yep, and, uh, it doesn't always work, right? We, we just made it sound really easy. <laughs> oh, it's uh, the, the formula is simple. Execution is yeah. difficult. You, you need to work on some skills. <laughs> yeah. It's really, yeah. it's really a tough thing. So it is a tough thing because in that space, you need to balance out assertiveness because you'll have to communicate your beliefs, your feelings, your thoughts openly uh, in a way that doesn't offend the other individual. And then you have to demonstrate empathy at the same time, being curious to invite them into the conversation and really do your best to understand their perspective. Empathy is not agreeing it's understanding. And most people confuse that definition of empathy. Mm-hmm. They're hearing it. And so they're, yeah. they're less willing to be empathetic or demonstrate empathy because sometimes if they believe it means I have to agree with you, then I don't want to do that. So if you change the definition to be empathy means understanding someone else's perspective and assertive means communicating my own, then once those things are in the pool, then we can start looking at decision-making problem-solving. And we can use all of this information to help drive us forward to a common goal. That's super valuable. I might title the entire podcast that. <laughs> um, nice. Empathy is not agreeing, it's understanding. That is very, mm-hmm. that is very key. Because that really kind of encompasses a lot of what we talked about today besides the whole entrepreneurial journey. Even there's some elements to that as well. So um, that, that makes a ton of sense. What were, your, uh, what were your thoughts about today? I felt that the listeners are going to get a lot. I think... Um, I think we did a relatively good job of getting super practical. I do too. I mean, their emotional intelligence has a lot of practicality to it, which is really a great thing because there are somewhat simple things to start doing with consistency that help to grow your emotional intelligence um, seemingly quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. And if you pick the right thing to work on, whether it be your self-regard, your assertiveness, your empathy, your stress tolerance, when you pick the right one, you can see sort of leaps and bounds in your development in getting out of behaviors or practices that are showing up right now and really derailing your relationship success, your professional success, your home life. 
hundred percent. I love uh, I love plugging some things. So let's do this. Um, I don't even think we announced your name uh, yet. So um, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to do that in the pre podcast. Obviously, I always leave a little rant for you guys. Explain what the podcast is about. But tell everyone your name, your full name. Tell everyone your LinkedIn, please. Uh, your podcast as well. I love plugging things. Tell everybody about your podcast and uh, any other platforms where people can find you. Teresa Quinlan, and, and I am my own brand. When I decided to, you know, start my business and thinking about a business name, I, mean, I, I am the brand. So I'm just going to use my name. Mm-hmm. And the formula attached to my brand is IQ plus EQ equals TQ. And TQR are my initials, but also stands for your talent quotient, how you are operating within your strengths. Oh, that's cute. And I like that. if you leverage your EQ, growing that emotional quotient, then you're, all of the work you've put into your IQ, you'll just be able to skyrocket. Now, you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. It's just Teresa Quinlan. You're very active. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty active. If you follow me Monday through Friday, you will usually get an emotional intelligence video every day. I also have a YouTube page just also called Teresa Quinlan. And all of my videos are there. My website is www.iqeqtq.com. And on it, there are some articles and lots of videos and information about the services that I do provide. And if you would love to hear more about how we're challenging the status quo in leadership and all of these concepts and practical applications around leadership, then I run a podcast with my co-host, Reese Thomas. It's called TNT ESQ. Super fun. Super fun. Um, anything else out there? Are uh, you on Twitter? No, I am not. <laughs> Twitter, you, you would find some value. There's a lot of, um, um, there's a lot of Twitter chat, chats now where you can jump into conversations that are super thoughtful around anything to do with leadership, business, HR, employee experience, mm-hmm. um, emotional intelligence. I believe it. It's, it's the same sort of token as I had one child and I went, oh, that is enough. I think my heart might explode. Me having multiple social platforms, that's how I, I kind of feel the same way about them. It's kind of going, ooh, okay. I, I, I feel like I would just spread myself way too thin. No, I get it. Being an entrepreneur, that's one of those things that I am highly cognizant of is I could work every minute of every day. Um, with the drive of being successful, getting my message out there, making sure that it works. And that's a very fine line. It's easy to tip over that line. Um, Since my family is so important to me, I I choose how to use technology. No, I appreciate it. And I respect that. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely respect that. Well, I appreciate your time today. I I think this is uh, one of the best episodes that I've had. Uh, One of my first interviews in a while here. There's been a lot of individual content. So you guys can uh, enjoy another voice for once. Um, And um, yeah, I appreciate it. Any other thoughts that you have? Well, it's just, it's such a great pleasure. You know, you connected with me and then you called me up and we had the conversation. And you're right. You are a lovable guy and you're super personal. It's very easy to identify that human first in other people when you have it. So I appreciate that you took the time to do that, to reach out, to have a conversation, to help me 
also expand the audience that gets to hear the message, hear the value, and potentially start to use some of these things to help grow their emotional intelligence so that they can, you know, live a more fulfilled, happier life. 100%. Well, I thank you again. You're definitely giving me a lot more. And uh, we'll definitely connect on some other things. I know we talked about maybe shadowing you a bit and learning a little bit more about what you do. So we'll definitely connect in here in a bit. And um, I appreciate it. Hopefully you guys will as well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too.